Hey, this is Ryan Rashad, and you've officially arrived at the quarter mark. What's good with it? It's your boy, Ryan Rashad, in the building. And, uh, yo, let me just say thank you to everyone who's shown me support, shown me love for this podcast that I've dropped. You know, I just want to let y'all know that that means a lot to me. And uh, I just want to say thank you once again for the love and the support. And, yo, for this, um, for those of you who are wondering why... I've uh, re-uploaded this episode. It's because, you know, I felt like the first one I didn't really do uh, its due diligence. You know, it didn't really have a proper intro, proper outro, things of that nature. So um, that is the reason why I've decided to redo this. So with that being said, here's the first episode of The Quarter Mark. And uh, I chopped it up with my man Keith Sparrow out of New Orleans. And we discussed Mystical's 25th year anniversary of the Mind of Mystical album. So without further ado, here's the first episode of The Quarter Mark. You are a native of New Orleans, correct? Correct. That's true. And, um, but you went to college at Texas A&M. Um, yeah. And you studied political science. So what made you want to go to school in Texas? Did you have family out there or, you know, like what was like what made you gravitate towards uh, the Lone Star State? Well, uh, I did have family there. My mom's family was from central Texas. So I kind of knew the area and I wanted to go to a big school that had a big football stadium. Cause I thought that was fun. <laughs> and... I didn't know exactly what I wanted to study, but Texas A&M had all the possible uh, curriculums that I was that I was potentially interested in, uh, and they gave me a nice scholarship. So, uh, nice. so yeah, so it, you know, it, it made it much, it made it financially, uh, you know, a lot easier to do. So, uh, so yeah, so I kind of checked all those boxes, and I was far enough away from home, but I could still, you know, do like a really long drive to get back home if I needed to. So, uh, so I liked all that. Nice, nice. Very cool, very cool. So after college, um, that's when you started working for Offbeat, correct? Yep. I came back and started freelancing for Offbeat, uh, as well as daily, actually, for the, uh, for the time speaking. And, and Offbeat was growing at the time. It, it was only a couple years old at that point. And um, they needed basically young, hungry people to work for essentially no money, which I was willing to do just to get, you know, some clips and, and get some experience. Uh, so I just started doing more and more of that and eventually became editor of the magazine. So that allowed me to sort of get to know the entire New Orleans music universe, um, which was, you know, the irony of it is that when I was growing up, my dad, um, was a huge fan of rhythm and blues from the fifties uh, and sixties. So he had all the 45s of like Fats Domino and, uh, you know, Irma Thomas and Ernie Cato and uh, all these like legendary New Orleans artists, which I kind of just dismissed it as, you know, old, old guy music. I wasn't really interested <laughs> in it. You know, I was, I mean, I was a white kid in the suburbs in the eighties. So I was listening to, you know, Motley Crue and Rush and things like that. Sure. Uh, but then, you know, once I started working and got to know, you know, the music and these artists, I realized how hip a lot of that early New Orleans stuff was and, you know, actually 
introduced my dad to Pat Domino, which was like very exciting for him and you know, all this sort of stuff. So it, it kind of all came full circle. Wow. Wow. Very cool. Um, so how old were you or, you know, what, I guess, uh, stage in your life, um, were you at when you were first introduced to hip hop or, um, hip hop in new Orleans? Well, it was funny. The, um, you know, it was really when I was that offbeat in, in the early, you know, early nineties, 93, 94, because, you know, up to that point, it was very much, uh, you know, an underground thing. Like it wasn't getting necessarily a lot of airplay on the commercial radio stations here. And, you know, it existed mostly, you know, in predominantly black neighborhoods and predominantly black clubs. And it was a very sort of street level thing. And, and, you know, and then when mystical started making noise, um, you know, it, it seemed like it had the potential to, to break out of that. And, and it was, it, it was kind of hard to ignore. And, you know, and even going back, like I, I had a friend of mine who DJed at high school dances. And so he would play early tracks by like DJ Jubilee, you know, who's one mm-hmm. of the real pioneers of the bounce sound. Um, and, you know, these are at, you know, and I'm talking at like even like what predominantly white Catholic high school dances and like all the kids would be out on the floor for the Jubilee songs, you know, like it, it's so, so, uh, so, so kind of homegrown New Orleans hip hop was making inroads, um, you know, especially in, 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 uh, in, in the younger generation of fans early on, by that time, the early nineties, but as far as it really seeming like something that, um, that I can really chew on from a, from a writer's perspective was when mystical emerged. And, you know, then it wasn't long after that where like billboards would go up around town for masterpiece ice cream man, you know, and it's like, Whoa, what is this? You know, who's this guy? What is he, what is this ice cream man thing? And so then that's when I kind of got to know him and what he was doing and, you know, and then the cash money guys and when they all signed their deals with, you know, national distribution and everything it all blew up. So, um, so that's kind of when I caught on to it was right when, when Mystical was, was doing Mindy Mystical. And then, you know, a year later when Ice Cream Man came out, Master P is kind of when I jumped on that whole bandwagon and, and went with it. Um, yeah. Um, you know, I, we're, we're coming up on 25 years since uh, Mind of Mystical came out actually it was a re-release um because he let me see let me let me get my my story together um he so after he got out the army um i believe he so he started doing music like full-time and then um he signed with big boy records um and then I think he had a deal with Jive and then, or what, do you remember the, the record label that he was with initially? Because when he, when he, when Mind of Mystical came out, that was a re-release and his first album was a, was a self-titled album, but I can't remember the record label. Um, Yeah. I mean, you know, 
Big Boy was the one that kind of, you know, really got it going here. You know, when he was doing those recordings with, uh, with Precise, with Leroy Edwards, um, who was kind of a staff guy at Big Boy Records. So, you know, that was, yeah, yeah there wasn't an independent, an independent record before that, which I can't remember um, who it was. But then, you know, yeah, he did those recordings, you know, for, for Big Boy, including Mind of Mystical. And that's kind of what, you know, what really started to, to you know, kind of lit the fire locally. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, um, you know, when we first started talking, you know, we, we spoke about cash money and obviously most people, uh, when they think about mystical, they think about his years when he was with no limit. Um, but big boy, you know, even though their window, I, you know, was a lot smaller than the other two that we just mentioned, um, you know, let's let's talk about you know their um, kind of their influence in the community. Um, um, you spoke about uh, Leroy Edwards. Uh, just just talk about you know um, their influence and and just kind of the movement that they had in the community. About Big Boy specifically, then? Yes. Yeah, I mean, Big Boy was one of those ear to the ground labels that was very attuned to what was happening kind of on the streets in New Orleans and the kind of stuff that was being played at block parties and, you know, the, the kind of music that was being played in small local clubs, uh, you know, and they had a knack for finding unpolished talent and making something out of it, you know, and you know, in some of those early recordings, you can definitely hear the influence of more traditional New Orleans music, you know, the the, the kind of stuttering beats and cadences of the, the you know, street beats from Mardi Gras Indians and all these other sorts of influences, you know, that kind of syncopated thing. You know, that's very much there in those early recordings. And and would be so later in the, in the more polished recordings, but you know, that early stuff was so raw uh, that you could really hear the influences, uh, you know, then. And yeah, so I mean, big, it was actually Big Boy put out the self-titled Mystical album in 94, as I'm looking at it, and then that was the one that kind of Jive picked up and retitled Mind of Mystical. Ah, okay. That's what it was. You know? yeah. yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, you know, they you know, the new artwork and it up and all that sort of stuff, but um, yeah, so that 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 was a big big book for that first one out. So, so so Keith, um, I think without a doubt, mystical is one of the most unique, not just rappers, hip hop artists. I'm I'm talking about just music artists in general. I mean. His style, his energy, um, just there was no one like him. And, uh, and so that, that kind of brings me to my next question. Um, do you think that he has gotten the respect that he deserves? Um, and not, not only, well, it's a two-part question. Do you think he's gotten the respect that he deserves in the city of New Orleans, state of Louisiana, and also in hip-hop in general? 
Yeah, it's hard to say because, you know, unfortunately, you know, his career has an asterisk next to it in, in the sense that it was interrupted kind of at its peak by, you know, him spending six years in prison. Uh, so right. that undoubtedly, you know, hurt his career and reputation. And, you know, when you kind of fall out of the limelight like that, uh, you know, it, it, sometimes you, you people lose a sense of how important you were and how innovative you were. Mm. Look, of all those early, you know, New Orleans rappers, you're right, Mystical was one of the most innovative innovative, and certainly the most unique. You know, he was so, uh, his style of rapping was so physical. Um, yes. You know, there was a James Brown influence, obviously, you know, with the, the kind of funkiness. Yep. Uh, and, you know, you can, you can attribute that partly to the New Orleans influence, for sure. You know, that kind of funky music of the meters and, you know, all the other funk bands and R&B bands that came out of here in the, you know, in the 60s especially. Yes, yeah, so that's in there. Um, but yeah, but then he had you know, that gruff voice, I mean, which, you know, you would hear like, he kind of sound like DMX to a degree, um, mm-hmm. but certainly a lot funkier, uh, you know? So, yeah, and, and, and you know, just the, the speed, <laughs> the amount of words he could compress into a few bars uh, was incredible, you know? And Amazing. Still, yeah, yeah, and you still... Um, enunciate clearly enough for you to pick up on what he's saying. Um, so yeah, you know, both both as a recording artist and as a live performer, he was very unique. I mean, I, I'm personally a fan of rappers performing with live bands. And, Me you know, too. I always thought, yeah, you know, I always thought what Mystical did was lend itself to that. You know, when you talk about like, uh, you know, a song like Bouncing Back, and it's such a great funky song. Um, you know, and he, and he did use a band, like, later on in the, in the latter uh, stages of his career. And it was great, you know. But I, I, had he done that early on, I mean, I think he would have blown up even bigger, for sure. Um, you know, but look, I mean, he, you know, one of his albums, Knock a Madonna album, that was the number one slot on the Billboard charts, you know. So he he had his, his commercial success, you know. I mean, Mariah Carey came down to shoot a video with him at, uh, you know, at a club here for one of her songs that he was on. So, I mean, he was operating at the upper echelon of the pop world uh, until he, you know, had his, had his career kind of cut out from under him by uh, his legal troubles. So, um, so that's, that's definitely contributed to him not getting all the credit he deserves, and certainly not all the success. You know, I mean, he, he's, you know, obviously not nearly as successful as he once was, and, and that's partly because he spent six years in... Uh, <laughs> state imposed hibernation you know so that's that's tough to, to bounce back from yes absolutely um yeah you know his his career is interesting because um you know uh like i said earlier you know most people when they think of him they associate him with his no limit years but you know his biggest success came after he left no limit um you know um the first album that he released uh after he left uh i believe it sold two million records two million copies that sounds about right yeah i mean he definitely have yeah a couple that were in that that range yeah um 
and the next one, Tarantula, you know, uh, I think that one did, uh, did pretty well as well. But, um, yeah, just, you know, I, I feel like I asked myself earlier because, you know, considering how unique he is, I don't, you know, with, with artists like that, sometimes you don't know, um, how long they're going to last as far as like, um, the, the, the taste that the fans may have for that, for that style, for that sound, you know, um, considering how unique he is, you know, you don't, sometimes you don't know how long, um, that window is going to be. So I was asking myself earlier, you know, did he, did he hit a ceiling? You know, did he, do you, did he maximize his talent to its full potential? You know, like, what do you, what do you think about that? Do you think he could have been a bigger star than what he was? Yeah, it's hard to say because, because you know, you're right in the sense that innovators are not always appreciated in their own time. You know, it's sometimes it, 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 you, you need perspective looking back to think, wow, you know, so-and-so was really influential and so-and-so was really on something and so-and-so anticipated where popular music was going to go but was just a little ahead of their time, you know, and certainly some of that applies to mystical, um, you know, but look, I mean, you know, the, the, the biggest New Orleans hip-hop record was Juvenile's 400 Degrees. I mean, I think it sold 4 million copies, I want to say. Without um, a doubt. You know, in hell. With that? No, I was saying without a doubt, that's the most popular one. Yeah. 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 I mean, that was a big one. And, you know, it, it it achieved those sorts of sales because it had two massive singles on it. You know, I mean, that, that, that had a lot, you know, to do with it. So, you know, Mythical never had a single that was as big as, you know, as, uh, as Ha and... Uh, Back that ass up, you know. I mean, he never did quite have that huge hit, um, but right. you know, you're selling a couple million albums. That that's not bad. You know, you, you can make a fine living doing that. Um, you know, and and he, you know, his backstory was so unique. As you said earlier, you know, he was in the army. You know, he wasn't, um, you know, a guy who was like dealing drugs or any of that sort of stuff. You know, as as he liked to point out, you know, he was the guy that was hired as a security guard at department stores in New Orleans to catch shoplifters. You know, he was on the other side of the equation, mm-hmm. you know, and he, he served, he served in Desert Storm and, you know, he came from a tight knit family and, you know, was real close to his mom, um, and all this sort of thing. So, you know, he was coming at music, not necessarily, you know, as an escape, but, he was approaching it strictly as a, a purely musical artist. Like he had this sound and his vision and this style that he developed pretty much on his own. And he just needs to find an outlet for it. Uh, you know, and he did, you know, he had, you know, there were such great records and, you know, he had such charisma. I, I mean, I remember when I was reporting that, uh, that offbeat story that I did in 1995, when, you know, the mystical record was already out and it was before Jive re-released Mind and Mystical. You know, he was a folk hero in the neighborhood, certain neighborhoods in New Orleans. You know, like, we go around town with him and he'd be walking 
with me and like kids would just come running up and like wanting to be like just in his orbit you know i mean they they loved him and he was great with him he had a huge smile and he was always very energetic and friendly and um you know just had this charisma and energy that not a lot of the other new orleans guys had you know i mean he was always upbeat and always sunny and just always you know as energized as he was in the music uh, so that charisma carried him a long way um, it, but again, I mean, it all comes back to the, you know, to the career getting interrupted. Um, you know, who's to say what would have happened had he not taken those six years off, which, you know, in hip hop, that's an eternity. I mean, that's like, you know, a lifetime. That's Yeah. It's being like Rip, Rip Van Winkle, you know, I mean, that's like, <laughs> I mean, he went to jail, you know, and before like YouTube and all that sort of stuff, you know, Spotify and all those things, you know, happened while he was away so it's like he came back out to a whole different universe so um right that's hard it's hard to overcome uh, you know but it doesn't take away from the greatness of those those early recordings by any means yeah no that's so true um yeah i, I mean um even like i i remember you know and you remember obviously you know when ti went to prison um, you know, and that was only a year and well, I shouldn't say only because, you know, that's any, any time being locked away is, you know, uh, um, too long, but, um, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and, and it totally, and I feel like it totally changed their careers, you know, even though it was, you know, 11, you know, I, I think Wayne's was like 10 months, you know, and, and, you know, when they came back, uh, it, it, you know, they just kind of got surpassed in popularity a little bit. Um, and so, yeah, for... Despite, despite what some people say about the street crowd or whatever, going away to jail for like a year or more is really not good for your career. It just isn't. Oh, no, no. It's... you. The only person that I can think off top that it's kind of kind of maybe helped... Or maybe not done so much damage as Gucci, as Gucci Man. You know, other other than him, I can't really think of someone else who that's really helped. Um, you know, being. I mean, yeah, it, it didn't. It, you know, Tupac came back pretty strong after he went away. Right. Uh, but that was, you know, kind of a different time, a different era too. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, by and large, you know. Certainly, in in more contemporary times, it's uh, it's not helped really anybody. No, <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. Um, so, Keith, if you don't mind me, um, I just I want to kind of go into your um, your interview, your interaction with Mystical. So, um, when you met him the first time, um, had his sister already passed away, or? Um, did you meet him after that? No, she uh, she had already passed away. So, you know, that was obviously something that affected him deeply. I mean, just, you know, by the violent nature of her death. And, you know, the fact that, uh, you know, no one was really ever convicted of it. Although, you know, mystical Michael, you know, was pretty certain about who it was and, um, you know, it, it was it was incredibly it was a terrible situation. He was the one that came home and found her body. Um, wow. 
So, you, you know, we, we talked about all that in those first interviews for that offbeat cover story I did in 1995. And, you know, that was one of his driving motivations was to make himself a success in memory of his sister because she'd always been very supportive of his, of his career and, um, you know, and, 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 you know, they were very close. So, you know, he wanted to be a success in part to honor her um, because, you know, because she'd always been there for him and because she was sort of taken, you know, she was taken away so tragically before he really achieved big success. I mean, she died in 94, uh, in September of 94, which I, and I believe, if memory serves, she actually died on Michael's birthday, on his 24th birthday. Oh, so wow. It was like a tragedy upon a tragedy. Oh, um, my God. Like, he'd gone out, he'd gone out for his birthday and came back, like, in, you know, in the wee hours and found her body. So, uh, oh, man. So, yeah, so it, was, it, was, it was horrible. I mean, that's, you know, that's a shattering experience for anybody. Um, so, yeah, but, he, you know, he, he talked about it in those first interviews. And, you know, this, this is the first time I'd met him was, was in, in late or, uh, summer of 95 into the stories, but he was, you know, very open and, you know, we had some kind of long discussions about that and about his motivations and his time in the army. Um, you know, and, and I just really liked it. You know, I liked him a lot personally. Um, and, you know, we hit it off and we stayed in touch throughout his career. I mean, I would do, you know, subsequent stories on him when those records came out nationally and had all the success. And when he moved up to Baton Rouge and, uh, uh, what place was mom, you know, and everything. I mean, I'd go up and visit him up there and, you know, talk to him and his mother. Uh, so, yeah, so I stayed in touch with him quite a bit, uh, you know, up until when he went to, went to jail. And then uh, when he got out six years later, you know, I was one of the first interviews he did when he got out. Um, and so we, we did, you know, additional interviews. And he was a chapter in a, in a book that I did a few years ago, uh, just because it's a, it's a fascinating story. I mean, and yes, you know, not a lot of guys from New Orleans uh, had achieved that sort of national success. You know, in the fifties, New Orleans was a hotbed of you know of of popular music. You know, with first and foremost, Fat Domino. You know, I mean, Fat sold the only person that sold more records than Fat Domino in the fifties was Elvis Presley. So, I mean, you had one of the mm. biggest national stars was a you know born and bred lifelong New Orleans. So after that, you know, New Orleans kind of fell out of the, the, the national spotlight until uh, Mystical and Juvenile and Vestipi and all those guys started making their mark in the 90s nationally. So, yeah, so it was really exciting to see Mystical become a national artist and have such national success um, because, you know, I knew the backstory. I mean, this is a guy that came up from the streets of New Orleans. Um, and worked really, really hard to be to develop his sound and his style and his whole persona, um, which was an extension of him. And it was, you know, it was neat to see. And, and uh, you know, and I always enjoyed talking to him throughout the process. And you know, after he went away and he came back out, I mean, he was, uh, you know, obviously had a lot of remorse. Um, you know, he he 
disputed some aspects of the case that was against him, but, you know, as he put it, uh, you know, I, I didn't go to jail for singing too loud in church. Like, you know, mm-hmm. was, you know, he put himself in some bad situations and ended up paying the price. Uh, but, you know, all that said, I always, you know, had a lot of respect for him for, you know, for talking to me and, and being forthright about it. Um, in fact, what year was it? Uh, this would have been... 2010-ish, maybe, uh, 2012. One of the years he was performing at the New Orleans Jazz Heritage Festival, there's a, there's an interview stage there called the Music Heritage Stage, and it's inside the grandstands of this building, and, and you, you sit on this little stage at the bottom of this, this uh, these bleachers uh, that hold a few other people. And, uh, and so I interviewed Mitzvah on that stage this one year, and... Uh, and look, you know, even there in a live interview in front of a you know, live audience, I mean, he was very forthright about talking about, you know, his, his troubles that he got into and how he was trying to make amends and get back from it. So, you know, I had, I respected him for being, uh, for taking ownership of it and, and, you know, and, and still talking about it. I hell I, I respect that he was able to do that. Wow. That is, uh, that's amazing. And that's great that you've been able to maintain, a relationship with him throughout the years, you know, um, you know, I, I'm not in the, uh, music business, entertainment business. Um, you know, I don't, I'm not connected. Um, at, le- at least not now, but, um, but from, you know, doing research and just reading up on stories on various artists, um, you know, I know sometimes, uh, they are, they can be reluctant to trust certain journalists, um, you know, people who write about music, who, um, you know, just people who have an influence on the industry. And so that's really great that you've been able to maintain a relationship with him throughout the years. And, um, you know, I only know him from afar, just through his music, watching interviews, things like that. And, you know, it's, it's funny how you spoke about his charisma, um, because I feel like, and, and that you mentioned that, w- that when you first met him, that you two hit it off really well, because he just seems like the type of guy where he'll, he'll talk to anybody, you know, like he just, he seems like he will just have a conversation with anyone, you know, it doesn't matter what the person looks like, what they're wearing, you know, he just, he looks like he has something a conversation or something to offer at anyone. And, you know, just kind of the way you speak about them. Um, I, I think that kind of validates that a little bit. Um, so, um, no, no I, go ahead, I, Keith. I think that's totally no, I, was, I think that's totally accurate. I mean, I think he, you know, he's just one of those people that, um, you know, likes engaging with other people and is kind of open to, uh, whoever and, uh, you know, kind of lays it all out there. So, uh, so yeah, so that's, that's, that, that makes him a really good interview subject over the years. Because not all of them, you know, not all performers are, are like that, obviously. I mean, they're, they're, they can be guarded and, um, you know, and just, uh, and, 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 you know, whether it's because they want to maintain a certain image or they, you know, they've been burned before, uh, you know, they, a lot of folks can be guarded. But he, he has always been very open and forthcoming and um, very articulate about, you know, where he's coming from 
uh, in pretty much every situation. Yeah, most definitely. Um, uh, I'm not going to hold you up too long, Keith. Um, I, I do want to get to one or two more questions. Um, so a, a lot of people are, they know that there was a rift between um, cash money and no limit. Um, you know, never did any collaborations during the height of their um, their success. Um and a lot of people may not know that uh, Mystical had um, some sort of a, of a conflict with um, former, like one of the original Cash Money uh, records groups, UNLV. Um, you know, a lot of people don't know that Mystical um, kind of had beef with those guys. And so um, that's... <sighs> That's kind of where a little bit of the rift between um, Cash Money and No Limit comes from. Um, you know, I know that Master P and and Birdman, and you know, I I know that they have their own separate stories. But um, um, just you know, being around, you know, during that time, um, what what can you say about um, Mysticals? Um, I guess you know, misunderstandings or what have you with uh, Cash Money and UNLV? Yeah, I didn't delve that deeply into to that. I mean, you know, that, that was real kind of insider baseball. Um, you know, that was a little, yeah, it was, it was too kind of in the weeds for me necessarily. Um, you know, I do, yeah. As you say, there was a there was certainly a rivalry there between Cash Money and No Limit, um, and yeah, it, you would have thought that these two camps from New Orleans could have found some common ground and come up with some pretty cool collaborations. But you know that never happened, and, and partly was because those two camps had you know different styles. Um, you know, production wise, it was it was you know different sounds. I mean, Manny Fresh, you know, his sound was so identified with. Cash Money um, and No Limit had its own group of producers and, and sound. So, you know, part of it was artistic um, and, and part of it was, uh, you know, was off the court uh, uh, beef as well. So, yeah, those things get complicated. And, then, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it doesn't help anybody to have those kind of beef and maintain those kind of beef. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. Right. Absolutely. So, um, last question, Keith, um, 25 years since, uh, Mind of Mystical came out, um, just, you know, tell the people out there, you know, what, what do you want people to know about Mystical, the artist, Mystical, the human being? Um, what, what do you want people to, to know about this man? Look, that Mind the Mystical album, 25 years later, remains such an engaging, uh, interesting, unique album to listen to. You know, it's, it's, no one's ever done a record like that since. Um, you know, and if you just go right down the tracks, you know, starting with Y'all Ain't Ready Yet, Murder, and all, you know, all that stuff. I mean, they're just one strong song after another. And very much reflected who Michael Tyler, a.k.a. Mystical, was and is. I mean, there were very pure distillations of his approach 
hip hop to New Orleans, hip hop specifically in the in the larger world of hip hop. Um, you know, you can tell if you listen to those tracks he's from New Orleans, but the songs also have appeal way beyond the city of New Orleans. So it's you know it's one of those those records that, especially if you're talking about representing the history of New Orleans hip hop, it deserved a spot in you know right at the top of the list because it was an absolutely crucial album and uh and remains so 25 years later beautifully said um and just to piggyback on that real quick um his song here i go uh to this day that that's you know i mean that just gets you going you know that that gives you a certain type of energy that most songs just don't it it just doesn't do it, you know. Um, and um, on that note, uh, Keith, I want to thank you so much for uh, giving me your time today, and uh, thank you so much for what you have contributed to uh, um, music, hip hop, what you've done in New Orleans, in the state of Louisiana, and uh, uh, I thank you so much for joining me today. Well, right, it's been a pleasure. I hadn't thought about those, uh, you know, those early mystical interviews in a long time, so it was good to kind of revisit. And uh, yeah, enjoyed talking about it. I'm glad you're uh, glad you're letting people know why this record's important. Absolutely, uh, Keith Spera with us, ladies and gentlemen. Once again, a big thank you and a big shout out to my man Keith Spera for blessing me with a few minutes of his time. You can follow Keith on Twitter at Keith Spera. You can also Google his name and. Uh, view some of his past work if you like to. Uh, you can also follow me on Instagram at Ryan R. Cohen. That's R-Y-A-N-R-C-O-H-E-N. And I'm going to be creating a Instagram page and a, a, a YouTube channel for this podcast as well. So just stay tuned for those. Uh, once again, I want to say thank you to everyone who has uh, shown me your love and your support. Uh, for this podcast. I really appreciate it um, from the bottom of my heart. And uh, I got a great one in the works right now. I can't tell y'all what that is or who it's on, but uh, just stay tuned. So with that being said, my name is Ryan Rashad. Y'all be blessed and y'all be good.